Thank you. First of all, I want to say thank you for coming, everyone. Are <laughs> you looking around? Man, we have some, we have some stiff competition with the, the mountains and uh, the weather and all the amazing things that Colorado has on a, on a sunny, warm, nice summer afternoon. Man, I'm, I'm glad you guys are here. And even if some of you are here just because it's air conditioned and you knew you could come and sit down and enjoy some air conditioning and some good worship, that's fine. I'll try not to detract from that too much. Just let you sit and enjoy what God's got for you. Um, I, think, I think this is going to be a, a, a good message. And the reason that I think it's going to be good is because the enemy's been messing with me for several days now. Several days in terms of just weird things, my, my computer screen glitching out in the middle of my message, literally ghosting, like deleting entire paragraphs, like without me touching the keyboard or anything. Um, just interesting things like that have been happening for days. And every single time that would happen, I would say, devil, you're not going to stop me. You're not going to stop me from delivering this message. And the Lord would just reaffirm to me what he wanted me to deliver. So what you get to hear tonight is kind of the result of what I feel like the Lord has really solidified um, in the direction of this. Now, the direction, obviously, is we're in the Sermon on the Mount, so that kind of focuses us in a little bit. Even further than that, we're focused in on Matthew 6, uh, 5 to 15, which is specifically how to pray. And in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about spiritual disciplines, okay? He's already talked about several things on how to interact with the Lord, how to interact with each other, how we should act, how we should think, things like that. But in these sections, last week, which was on giving, this week on prayer, and next week, um, what I think you're going to love, the message on fasting. It's considered three spiritual disciplines. And when I say disciplines, what I mean by that is the assumption is that if you're a Christian, you're doing these things. You're already doing these things. It's not if you get the opportunity to someday pray or if that should arise, here's how you do it. He's just saying, and he said it multiple times last week, and he says it again in this section, when you, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, it's something that's just an assumption that you're going to do. Bible commands us to do all these things. And so not only if you're a Christian, you should be doing these things, but Jesus at this time was speaking to a predominantly Jewish by heritage audience who was many of them in the process of converting. Some already had become followers of Jesus, but they were following a tradition where they were also being told when you pray. It was just something that you did. And therein lies actually some of the problem. Because when we're told you will do this, you will do this, you will do this. Sometimes our human nature is just that, okay, show me how to do that and I'll do that thing, okay? I'll set a reminder on my phone. Oh yeah, okay, get up, okay, pray, do, okay, check, done. We go on with our day. If it becomes something that just we do it, it's very easy to become rote. And even though Jesus reaffirms that and says, when you pray, I think he's very careful to tell us that it needs to be done in the correct heart, and not just something that we just do because now's the time when we do that. And I think the, the scripture and the message is going to kind of bear that out. <coughs> Again, excuse me. Jesus is not telling us that these things are optional. Okay, He's saying when you do these things. And I think the reason is, is because, as I said last week, when we pay attention to our motives, when we do the things that the Bible commands us to do, when we do the things that Jesus himself commands us to do. And we do them with the right heart. Okay, When we do them with the right heart, it's not all about us seeing a particular outcome or even knowing if there is an outcome. But when we do it with the right heart, it allows God to use it in ways that we could never imagine. In other words, when we pay attention to our motives, God will take care of the outcome. And we have that assurance. So this week, we're going to go through, it's Matthew 6, 5 to 15. Again, it's, it's how to pray. The only time you talk about prayer, I think, especially when you talk about it from the pulpit, um, it raises more questions than answers. It really does. How do I pray? Should I pray? Why is prayer important? Does God always answer prayer? What if he doesn't answer my prayer? What if I pray for healing and it doesn't happen? What if, 
it raises so many questions that sometimes I think we just leave it as like, oh yeah, well, we're all supposed to pray, okay? Good luck with that. Let's all pray. But we don't really understand the why, and so it's kind of hard to be intentional about something, deliberate about something, if we really don't understand the answer to some of those questions. One of the phrases that I hate the most, and I'm not supposed to use the word hate from the pulpit especially, but I really dislike this phrase, is, is you just have to have it on blind faith. Just blind faith. I don't think God ever asks us just to have blind, unquestioning, just random, dumb faith, just do it because. I think he gives us all the answers to everything that we could ever ask right here in the Word. And so by digging into that, I think that we're going to find the answers to, to all of our questions. First, let's talk about, let's, let's be very simple. Before we even go into what Jesus says about all this, let's just answer some basic questions like, what is prayer? Okay, everybody, I think, has kind of a vague idea of what prayer is. We know conceptually what prayer is. There are some people who are very much about prayer, and they understand it in and out and backwards and forwards. But I think some of us have a misconception about what prayer is. Billy Graham, actually, he, he really crystallized what prayer is. And so I want to read his quote. He says, prayer is spiritual communication between man and God. A two-way relationship in which man should not only talk to God, but also listen to him. That's pretty cool. So that kind of crystallizes what prayer really is. Prayer is not just spouting off a whole bunch of requests and then walking away. We're supposed to have an expectation that we hear from God. And it's not just Billy Graham that says that. There is biblical precedent in this. For one, uh, and there's hundreds of them, but let me just read you a couple. Um, I don't have them on the screen here. These are both uh, in the section of Psalms, and, and these are both uh, David is saying this. One is Psalm 4.1. David is speaking to the Lord himself. He's saying, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. So not only is he saying, hear my prayer, but he's saying, answer me. Second one, Psalm 17, 6, again, it's David. I have called upon you, for you will answer me, O God. I have called upon you, because you will answer me. And this is David, and there's so many more. Prayer isn't meditation. It's not passive reflection. Okay? We can have scriptures that we meditate on and we ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us, give us that rhema word. That is certainly valid, but prayer is not that. Prayer is two-way. See, if prayer was meant to be passive, really, in, in reality, why would, we, why would we need the Holy Spirit? Wouldn't the Bible just be enough? This is what God says. It's right here. This is all you need to know. Okay? Study it, know it, live it. That's all we'd have to do. But God gives us the opportunity. We have the opportunity to speak to and hear from the creator of the universe, creator of everything that ever was and ever will be. We can actually talk to him and hear from him. That is amazing. I don't know if many of us grasp what an awesome opportunity that is. But I do know that many of us leave that opportunity on the shelf. We just leave it. We know, uh, yeah, I, I guess I could pray about it. People come to me all the time with pastoral questions like, hey, can you help me? I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. And I go, have you prayed about it? Uh, not really. Why would you not seek the advice of the creator of everything? the one that knew you from before you were born, the one that had a plan for you and has a plan laid out for you, why would you not talk to him? I was railing against Apple computers and tech support with Jeremy earlier. If you had a, a number on your cell phone that you could dial and would be just life support, any question you could possibly ever have, you just hit that and ask that question. It's your own personal tech support, life support, relationship support, wouldn't you use that? Wouldn't that be like your most dialed button on your phone? We have that with our Father in heaven. 
but I think we underuse it. It's meant to be two-way. So if that still sounds complicated, let me give you a little trick. Anytime you're reading in Scripture, or anytime somebody says, you should pray about that, take that word prayer, and just in your mind, replace it with talk to God. Just take that word prayer and, and exchange the words mentally in your head, talk to God. Because that's what prayer is. Prayer is a conversation, a two-way relationship that you're having with God. And I think that'll help us through a lot of things. I'll kind of show you as we go how that can work. So let's go. So first, that's what prayer is. Why is it so important? Why is prayer so important? I'll tell you one reason that we know it's important is because the devil wants to do everything he can to talk you out of it. He wants to tell you, you don't have time, it's not effective, it doesn't work anyway, people are going to think you're dumb, you don't know how, you don't know all the Elizabethan English that you have to say, the these and thous, in order to make it sound flowery. You got no business praying, really, because you don't know how to do it right. Devil spends a lot of time trying to convince us to not pray. Why? Because here's just a few of the things that prayer can do. Prayer, number one, can drive out demons. It can literally drive out demons. Jesus himself says this, Matthew 17, 21, when the disciples have been trying to heal this, this, this possessed boy, they're asking Jesus, why, why all these things that we're trying, why are they not working? And Jesus says simply in 17, 21, we've got it right up here, this kind only comes out with prayer talking with God and fasting. So this kind only comes out with talking with God and fasting. Fasting you'll hear about next week. The only way you can make that kind of demon come out is by getting direction directly from God. It's not through any rote things that we do. That's what he's trying to say here. Next one, it brings you peace. It just simply brings you peace. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by talking with God, let your requests be made known. It's so much more simple when we think of it as just talking with God. It's just having a conversation. That's all it is. Next thing it does, it heals. Prayer can heal. And healing prayer has been something that has been misused for centuries. It's still misused on a daily basis. It's also an opportunity for the devil to tell people, don't do that. Don't pray for healing because what if it doesn't happen? Because what if? You don't want to look dumb. The devil tells people that all the time that feel led to pray for healing, to not go there. But we're supposed to do this. In James chapter 5, 14, 15, it says, Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. If you're sick, Call the elders of the church. We will pray over you. We will do that. Our prayer team will pray over you anytime that we are here. Another scripture, I don't have it on the, on the screen here, Jeremiah 30, 17, says, For I will restore you to health, and I will heal you of your wounds, declares the Lord. <coughs> prayer heals. Prayer restores. Another way that, it, that it's powerful, it helps you hear the Lord's direction. Just simply helps you hear what the Lord's got for you. First Thessalonians 5, 17, 18. And I know this is heavy with scripture, but I wanna I wanna show you. First Thessalonians 5, 17, 18. Pray, again, talk with God without ceasing. Talk with God without ceasing. Doesn't sound a whole lot easier than pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's God's will for you. But then again, it's how we hear the Lord's direction for us. That was a scripture they had up there, Isaiah, and that was my bad. I went backwards here. Isaiah 30, 21. 
Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right or to the left, you will hear, you will literally hear his voice guiding you if you're listening for it. We have to listen with expectation, though, and I'll get into that a little bit. Next thing, Jesus modeled it for us. If it was good enough for Jesus, if it was something that Jesus was intentional in doing, why would it not be good enough for us? Luke chapter 6, verse 12. It was at this time that he went off to the mountains to pray, he being Jesus. And he spent the whole night in prayer. Again, he spent the whole night talking with God. That's something I think all of us can do. We can all talk, right? Let's talk to the Father. So let's hear what Jesus has to say on this, okay? Let's go into our basic scripture for this section, which is Matthew 6, 5 to 15. I'm going to read the whole thing through, and then we'll jump back into it, okay? Again, this is, this is Jesus speaking. He is teaching this. It's his own words. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they'll be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then he goes into this section, which many of us are familiar with. We call it the Lord's Prayer, right? Pray then in this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Wow. So it seems clearly there's a right and a wrong way. Is there a right and a wrong way or is there a right and a wrong heart? So let's go back into this and see. Jesus is really teaching more about our motives than about the how-to's. Okay, when he says, pray in this way, he's just laying out a blueprint, a template for us, okay? Not a script. And I'll talk about that more in just a little bit. Let's jump into the individual scriptures. Matthew 6, 5, okay, the first line in there. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. So if you're here last week, you might remember the word hypocrite, okay? The word hypocrite there is a term that was used for stage players, okay? If you were, if you were a player in a, in, a, in a drama, you were a hypocrite, and that, we don't, that doesn't mean the same thing as we talk about it now. What it literally meant is somebody who pretends to be something else, somebody who, who gets paid or profits for pretending to be someone else. That's that's what a hypocrite really means. That's what that is. Now, the Jewish custom was to, at the time, was to pray in public places, standing out in the open, arms outstretched, looking to heaven. That was the custom. So when he's addressing this, he's saying the hypocrites love to stand and pray in the synagogues. That was what their custom was. It was just simply so that you could be seen, okay, and We'll talk about why that's not where Jesus wants us to be. There's nothing really wrong inherently with the posture of standing, arms outraised. It's where your heart is in that. Okay? When I, I'll tell you, when I stand up here when I'm worshiping or when I'm praying and I've got my hands raised up, you know what I'm thinking? I'm just like, I go back to when I was a little kid. You're two years old or you're a little toddler if you think about that. And you're saying, Daddy, pick me up. I'm just wanting to be with my daddy, so I'm raising my hands to him. It's not a salute. It's not anything like that. That's what's in my mind when I do that. What's in your mind might be something entirely different, but it doesn't matter. It's what's in your heart, and it's what your motives are. That's why we do these things. 
Proverbs 21, 2 says, Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. Your heart is so much more important than what you do. And Jesus is saying that. He's saying, hey, if you're doing this just for man's approval, you'll get it. But that's all you'll get. I want more than that. Jesus 6, uh, Jesus 6, 6. Matthew 6, 6. Jesus, this could be Jesus 6, 6, right? Matthew 6, 6. Yeah, that's right. Jesus says, continues, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room. Close your door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So he's not literally talking about going into a closet, okay? Not literally talking about that. That word there, sometimes it translates as closet. This one's, this translation says inner room. It really just means private place, private place or secret place in some cases, but it just means go somewhere where you're alone. It doesn't have to be a closet. I've had people that tell me I specifically outfitted a prayer closet in my home, and that's okay, but Jesus just wants to be alone with you when you pray, and that's kind of the heart of what he's getting to. Some of us, the only alone time, if you're a parent of a little one, a closet with the lights out and the door shut is probably going to be your only chance to be alone with him. So in that case, it works fine. But this concept of going into an inner room, going into a secret place, and praying by yourself would have been a real challenge to these people. Culturally, that's not what they did. Culturally, they prayed together. Prayers were typically led, and it was kind of a call and recite thing where the prayers would be recited for them. But more important than that, they weren't expecting an answer, which is one reason why it becomes rote. One reason why our prayers can become rote. If we're not expecting an answer, we're just writing down a list of grievances or fears, and we're just tear it off, and here you go, and walking away. We don't have an expectation of an answer. And if we don't, there's no relationship there. These people didn't have that relationship. So when they would pray, they would be in the synagogues together and they would be led in prayer or they would pray by themselves wherever they were on the street corner, wherever they were. They were just reciting words, not expecting any answers. So they were just throwing them up to heaven and then walking away. It was very easy in that situation for it to become kind of a rote thing that they did. There's a a prayer, it's a common prayer called the Amidah. It's a, it's a Jewish prayer. It literally means 18 blessings. And it's something that really observant, strict Jews will do three times a day. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They'll recite this prayer. It's 18 blessings, and they'll just recite it. And that's been going on for generations. It's an example of just the rote recital of prayers without waiting or listening or even expecting an answer. We have so much more available to us as followers of Jesus. And that's what I think is exciting. So let's go on. Matthew 6, 7. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they'll be heard for their many words. Again, Jesus is just continuing that thought of, of just reciting, thoughtless recital of prayers, like as if God didn't hear you the first time. He didn't hear you the first time, so let's just say it over and over again. Let me show you what this looks like in other cultures, in other religions. One, um, and I'm not singling out any specific religion or culture to talk about, but it's just an observance that I've seen. I've been to Israel, and I've watched observant Muslims. I've watched them throw down their mats at the time when the loudspeakers come on, okay? And they get down, and they kneel, and they pray, and for the most part, they say the same exact thing, okay? And it comes out of the loudspeakers, and they just let that be prayed over them. They're not really actively praying, again, or, re or expecting an answer. They're just simply doing it. And then another culture that I recently had a chance is the Buddhist culture, okay, when I was in Nepal recently. You've all seen the little prayer flags, okay? In Nepal, it's, it's kind of iconic there. The flags, little triangular, colorful flags, they look really cool, right? But what those really are is that they write 
prayers on them. If you get up close to any of those, they're just covered, really super fine script, and they write prayers on each one of those flags. And they hang them across bridges, they hang them across openings, and the idea is that as the wind blows and ruffles these flags, the prayers are being released and they're going to the gods. It's probably the most passive way of praying that I can possibly imagine. I'm not even going to take the time to do it myself. I'm going to create this thing that's just going to do it for me 24-7. Another iconic thing they have is the prayer wheels. If you've seen them in different movies, it's, it's the little stone or metal wheel that's got prayers inscribed on it all the way around, and you spin them. You've seen those in some movies, okay? That's something they have all over the place. And in fact, as we were hiking at one point, I remember seeing this very, very clever person had done this, had set up a little paddle wheel in one of the streams. And this paddle wheel would take the water as it flowed down through this stream, turn the paddle wheel, and the paddle wheel would in turn spin the prayer wheel. The idea is as that prayer wheel is spinning, those prayers are being released to the gods. That is an, that's some ingenuity in how to passively pray. I can just go on with my life and this thing is praying for me. I'm not talking down about them. What I am saying is I, I feel for them because they don't have an expectation that their God is going to have a relationship with them. They don't have an expectation that they're ever going to hear or get any kind of response from those prayers. It's just something that they do. We don't have to live by those lines. Matthew 6, 8, next one. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So here's a question. If God knows what we want before we ask, why do we need to pray? It's a good question, right? It comes up all the time. If God knows what we want before we even ask, why do we need to pray? There's many reasons, and they're great reasons. Number one, God has given us free will. To either accept him or reject him. To accept his help or reject his help. So he's not just going to push it on us. He knows what's good for us. He knows what we need. He knows our fears. He knows everything that we need. But he wants us to invite him into help. He wants us to invite him into relationship with him. It's just like a child. Those of you who have children or nieces or nephews or little brothers or sisters, you look down at them. They're playing. You know what they need. You know what they want. But how does it feel when they turn and ask you? When they turn and ask you for something and you say, I would love to give you that. I would love to give you what you want. That's what our Father in Heaven feels about us when we turn and we ask Him for things. He already knows what we're going to ask for, but it fills His heart with joy when we ask Him to participate in our lives and to be a part of our lives. It's also so that we can learn to be dependent on Him. I don't mean dependent in a bad way. I mean dependent in the way that you know that if you ask Him for something, He is going to be there. And he's going to help you with that. He's going to speak to you. He's going to actively help you through this. And it's only through the process of doing this that we learn that he's there for us and that we're not alone. In the instance of the Buddhist prayers, they know that their gods are around somewhere. But whether they're off doing something else or they're with them, they have no way of knowing. They just know that they're supposed to pray continuously. And so they set up these devices to do that. They're not expecting an answer, but we can. And then finally, Jesus gets in Matthew 6, 9 to 13, and he tells us in the Lord's Prayer a template. He gives us a template on how we should pray. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
Okay, so you say, isn't that just recital also? You know, if he's saying this is how you should pray, he's not saying pray this prayer. He's laying out for us a template of how to do it. And for those of you who are, who are um, reluctant to pray, maybe you don't pray very much, I'm going to explain how this looks. There's actually an acronym called ACTS, A-C-T-S, that will help you with these sections of this. The first one, the A in it, is adoration. And Jesus starts out, and this, the, the Lord's Prayer follows this template perfectly. Adoration, simply just start out any prayer, any talking with God, start out by saying how much you love him. How amazing he is. How thankful you are for the things that he has already done. Praise him for his power, for his grace. It's just that simple. That's the A in Acts, adoration. Next one, confession. Be honest with him about where you've fallen short. Because he already knows. He wants to know if you know. Be honest with him. Tell him where you've fallen short. Be specific. Ask for his forgiveness. He's already given it to you. But he wants to know. He wants to know that you understand. The last one, or second one, the third one, A-C-T, Thanksgiving. Okay? Thank him. We all have plenty of reasons to be thankful for, even if it's just simply, I'm here to draw another breath. Doesn't matter what your life circumstances are, if you're still here and you're still breathing, you've got plenty of reasons to be thankful. And then when that day happens that you're not breathing anymore and you go home to be with him, then we have even more to be thankful for. So you've always got something to be thankful for. Thank him for it. And then the last part, supplication. Supplication simply means to, in humility, tell him what you want. Tell him what you want. Let me give you an example of what that looks like. And a lot of people get this part of it, and they have a hard time with it. They have a hard time with asking God for what they want. They think it's selfish. Well, let me ask you, again, going back to that image of a small child. And you go to your child and you say, what do you want for your birthday? What do you want for your birthday? And that child looks at you and says, I want peace in the world. And I want for my brother to have what he wants. And I want there to be happiness for everyone. And I want you to have what you want. What would your response be? You would say, that's amazing. My heart is so full and I'm so, I'm so happy and pleased with, with your heart for other people. But... I want to know what you want. What do you want? And we literally want to know what you want. I'm happy that you want world peace. I'm happy that you want healing for everybody and an end to wars. I'm not saying don't pray for those things, but I'm saying our Father is personal and He's intimate and He wants to know what you want. That's the supplication part. So let's go to Him in humility and ask Him what we want. And then the last section, Matthew 6, 14, 15. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. That sounds kind of harsh, right? But Jesus is illustrating how important forgiveness is here. Forgiveness is incredibly important to our relationship with the Father. And for our ability to both talk to and hear from God. Forgiveness can be a major barrier to that if we're holding on to that. I see that all the time in our deliverance ministry. We spend so much time working our way through forgiveness. Because those things are a real barrier to us hearing from God. Let me show you how this works in scripture. I've got it up there. No, no, I don't have it. I didn't give it to him. Good, because this is really long. But it's the parable of the debtor. Okay, and I'm going to paraphrase it for you. Jesus is teaching a parable about forgiveness of debt. And there's a slave okay, who owes money to his master. And after a certain amount of time, the master comes and he says, I'm calling, I'm calling in the debts right now. I need you to pay me what you owe me. 
He goes to this one particular slave, and this slave says, I, I don't have the money. I do not have it to pay you. So the owner says, okay, I'm just going to sell you and sell your children. I'm going to sell all that you have in order to pay your debt. I'm just going to sell you off. The slave turns to his master, and he is begging him, please, please have mercy on me. Don't, don't sell me off. Don't sell my children. Separate me. All please don't do that. Well, the master is very moved by this, and the master says, okay, I'm going to forgive your debt. So the slave runs away. He is happy. He's thrilled. He leaves, and he goes outside, and the very first thing he does is he runs into somebody who owes him money, fellow slave, owes him money. And he says, pay me what you owe me. And the other slave says, I can't. I don't, I don't have it. Have mercy on me. But in this case, this man's response is, I'm going to have you thrown in jail. I'm going to have you thrown in prison because you can't pay what you owe me. Long story short, okay, the word gets back to the original master who then pulls in this slave and he says, I forgave you. Why would you not forgive? Here's how that section ends up, okay? This is all in Matthew 18. So read this if you get a chance, Matthew 18, 22 to 35. This is how this goes. But here's the very last line. The very last line of that section. Jesus says this, My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not, does not forgive his brother from your heart. See, verse 34 says, And the Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers, until he should repay all that was owed him. The Lord handed him over for torture until he was able to repay. And then Jesus says, if you fail to forgive, that's how my Father in heaven's going to treat you. Do you think Jesus thinks forgiveness is important? That's what the parable of the debtor is all about. This man was all within his legal rights to demand repayment, but his heart was wrong. And Jesus is saying it doesn't matter if you're within your rights or you're right or you're wrong or any of that. What matters is where your heart is. And this is what he's trying to teach us through all this. See, Jesus gave himself up for us so that we could be reconciled to the Father, so that we could be made holy and blameless in his sight. Our actions, our heart for one another should reflect that, should reflect that at all times. So, again, prayer with the right motives allows God to not only bless us, but to bless others. And there are ways that this happens. It's so powerful. It's so powerful that the devil is going to continually tell you that you're doing it wrong. But let me ask you this. How many of us have been having conversations with people for most of our lives? Once we were able to talk, right? It's a rhetorical question. I appreciate the feedback. We can't goof up a conversation with our papa. If you talk to your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your best friend, do you worry about having the right thing to say? Do you worry about, well, I'd, I'd like to talk to my dad, but I don't know if I'm going to say the right thing. I don't know if I'm going to have the right words. We don't worry about that, right? The only time we worry about goofing up what we say is when we're ha we have a script that we're trying to stick to. And then it's like, oh, I got to memorize this and I got to say the right things. That's not what our father wants from us. He just wants a conversation. You can't goof it up if it comes from your heart. It should be a natural outflow, a natural overflow of our hearts to want to have a conversation. It's just talking to God. That's all prayer is. But it's been so confused and so convoluted. And there's, again, there's so many questions. When I was writing this, I came up with all kinds of different sections on this that would have taken us until tomorrow for me to work our way through about speaking in tongues, healing prayer, what if you don't get healed, all, all these kind of questions that people have. If anybody wants to talk about those things, I'd be happy to talk to you after service. But since I want to try and get us out here 
tonight, I want to just remind you of a couple things. One, James 5.13. We've got this on the screen, I think. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. So we're either to be in prayer or singing praises. The worship team can go ahead and start working their way up <coughs> as I conclude this. Again, anytime you think about prayer, is anyone among you suffering? Then he must talk to God. That's all he wants from us. He doesn't want flowery language. He doesn't want it done in public. He doesn't want it done a certain way. He doesn't necessarily even want it done in secret. He just wants it done with the right heart. And the right heart is to talk to our papa. And so we're going to do this. Normally when we get here, I will pray to close things and then we will go into communion. We're going to do this a little bit different here tonight. When I was in Nepal and then also when I was in Africa the year before that, they had an interesting custom for prayer. They would pray all at the same time. It seemed like chaos at the time. Here, we get in a circle and we pray and it's one person says their thing, and then when they're done, it goes to the next. After an uncomfortable silence, like, who's next? It goes to the next person, and then the next person, next person, next person, and it goes all the way around until you're done. After sometimes an unbearably long length of time, and it's awkward sometimes. It's even awkward for me because I'm like, I appreciate that prayer, but that's not my prayer for my father. What they do in Nepal and in Africa is they pray all at once. They might get in a circle. They might be in a room like this, but everybody's just lifting up their prayers to the Lord at exactly the same time. And it just sounds chaotic, but I guarantee to our Father, it is just beautiful noise. And so that's what I want to do right now. I am not going to pray over you. What I'm going to ask, the worship team's going to go ahead and start playing here in just a second. And I want you to stay in your seats, and I want you to pray to God. And I want you to pray out loud and pray a specific prayer. When I say pray, talk to God. Just simply talk to God. How was your day? My day was okay. Whatever you would say to a friend, because that's who he is. Just talk to God. We're going to take this whole first song. And I just want you to stay where you are and just talk to God. And the reason I think the Lord put this on my heart to do this is because I think there are a lot of us who know what it is, who know what prayer is, but we get busy. We get busy and our prayers might just be 10 seconds here, 10 seconds there, or, oh, I forgot I should pray. Some of us have this down pat. I'm not one of those. I need to be reminded sometimes. And so I think the most powerful thing we could do right now is just build in a time where we're just going to sit, each one of us where we are, and we're just going to talk to Papa. Expect an answer. Listen for an answer. So lift your prayers up to him and then quiet your heart and hear what he has to say to you. We're going to do that through the first song, and then after that I'll get up and I'll go ahead and lead us into communion. But let's take this time, this precious time that is, is so rare for us to have, and I'm just going to invite you to experience the most amazing thing. And that's the creator of the heavens and earth speaking directly to you. So let's do that. And I'll see you back here in a few.
tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone your presence Lord oh Holy Spirit you are welcomed here come flood this place and fill the lights down. Not off. Down's good. I want to invite anybody who feels like they would like some healing prayer to come forward. I'm going to be down here. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up here too. And we as elders of the church, we want to pray over you. This is something that the Lord commands us to do. And so you feel that you want that prayer, then come on down. The rest of you just continue to pray where you are. Your goodness, Lord. 
here the first time who has heard your voice, heard your voice for the first time. God, never let there be a day when they don't hear your voice. We thank you, Lord. So let's take a time right now and let's go ahead and move into communion. If you want prayer, I don't want to stop any of that. If you are praying and hearing his voice, just continue where you are. The prayer team is still around if you need any of that. But if you feel moved and when you are ready, can move into communion. Again, you know, guys know how it works. We've got the crosses. Gabe and I will be up front here. We would love to serve you in celebration of what Jesus has done for us. Um, after that, next song, we'll have Lauren uh, release you, but I have asked them to add an extra song onto the back end so that you can just sit and soak in what God has for you. So whenever you need to go do that, but please use this time to just reflect on what God is speaking to you tonight.